Guess what, y'all? We back with another jam-packed episode of the From Hood to Good podcast. We got best-selling international author, app designer, entrepreneur. I mean, my man went from $150,000 in debt to financially free. He did that in nine months. Financially free by the age of 32. Excuse me if I'm mixing my words up. I'm a little excited. Robert Raymond Rio Pal is on the line today. And no doubt, make sure y'all check out the free giveaways. We got a giveaway for his book, Success Left the Clue. Check it out in the show notes. Check my man off. Man, I ain't going to even talk to y'all too much. I'm going to let Rob give it to you. And it's been a long time. So let's get to it. Yeah, what's going on, world? We back with another From Hood to Good episode. Your boy, Ronnie Jacks, holding it down each and every day. This is a special, special episode I got lined up for you guys, man. It took some work to get this to get this lined up, but we got international best-selling author, app designer, entrepreneur, and we know, you know, most of y'all want to be an entrepreneur. Um, he spent the past 18 years traveling the world, sharing his passion, over 500 that Listen, I'm not going to give all the goodies away right now. I'm going to let him give it to you. We got Robert Raymond, Rio Pal, on the line, and I'm happy to share this with you guys. How you doing today, Robert? Oh, uh, you know, I like to tell people, Ronnie Jacks, if I'm any better, I'm twins and the world cannot handle that. <laughs> if he's any better, he's twins. You, you, hey, it's going to take some work to make two of you. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, man, Robert, yo, thank you for coming up today. I, like, I thanked you before, but thank you again in front oh, of our man. listeners. You know, I appreciate that. Um, so we, me and Robert, we had a brief conversation prior to this recording and we're not going to hold it back robert got a lot of info to share with y'all so we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty y'all know we talk about routines we talk about playbooks we talk about um just all the things that make people successful all the things that successful people do you know what i mean so robert can you answer this? We want to know what your typical day looks like. What do you do for your health? What do you do for your wealth? How does your relationship look? How do you balance all of those things being who you are? <laughs> well, you know, it, it comes from 20, no, well, I, I just turned 52. So, you know, I got to own the age. Uh, it's come from decades of learning not being perfect because I'm never perfect, never will be. So think about that. Like in that way, I've gone from extremes of one way to another. So as an example, when I first became a trainer, I was living my passion so hard, so full out that I was on stage 12 hours a day doing three to five day trainings at a time, uh, 40 to 50 full on trainings every single year at home on average, only two days a month. The only reason it worked is because my wife traveled with me a lot um, for it. So I, we were at least together and I overlived my passion. I got burnt out. So that obviously didn't work. So I took a year off to, you know, decompress, get over burnout. But that year and a, that year off turned into three and a half years 
because while I was not, um, while I was overliving my passion, I also was not taking care of my body. And I ended up going through two back surgeries. And so I went from overliving my passion, which is bad, to then not living it at all, which is just as bad. And so it's, I'm always asking myself these questions, Ronnie, is, is what's my lesson? What am I getting from this? And so when I knew I had to come out of retirement and start training again, which is a whole kind of story in itself, is I knew that if I was going to train, I would not put my body through that again. So I wanted to have balance. And I know we're doing this audio, but you know, you, you can see me visually and you see my hands are kind of waving back and forth. Most people think balance is that everything's perfect and it's like, oh, life's just amazing. But in my experience, there's no such thing as perfect balance. To me, what balances is as things go out of uh, um, kilter, you adjust, you adjust, you adjust. So coming out of it, I went, okay, overliving my passion, not good. My body, my health, my, my wealth was doing great, but a lot of other things were paying the price. Not living it at all. Negative non-supportive habits were coming back in. My wealth was starting to go down. You know, not good. So for me, when I came out of retirement, I said, I'm going to do 20 trainings a year. Why? Because even if I'm traveling to the other side of the world, even with all the travel, I still have six months a year to be at home. Because family's important to me. Time off is important to me. And I didn't really learn about that part of the balance until I'd gone through both extremes, if that makes sense. You know, like at the one point before my first back surgery, I was laid up in bed for over six weeks where I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed. And you talk about humbling. And look, if we're going to get right into it, when someone's got to actually wipe your ass because you can't, you come, you become humble very, very quickly. And so coming out of retirement, it's like, A, I'm going to take better care of myself. B, I'm still, I need, I have to live my passion because not living it isn't doing me any good. So how do I do that? And so for someone to understand life and what's the habit, every successful person you talk to is just like every unsuccessful person you talk to. Mm -hmm. There's things that work in your life. There's things that don't. The question is, where do you put your focus? So kind of long story of way of answering is, is I know one, I'm, I'm very big on um, introspection. I work a lot on myself. I need to know who I am. And one of the things I have no problem admitting, I'm a procrastinator. I am a procrastinator. If I don't have to get up in the morning, I won't. I'll sleep in. I'll find a reason. So what I do is I design my day in such a way that procrastination cannot play which means I will purposely schedule meetings for early in the morning because as soon as I commit to someone else, I follow through on the commitment. And so I'll schedule those meetings for, you know, the latest seven o'clock in the morning is my first meeting. Why? Because now I have to get up. Now I'm going because I don't let my mind take me out by going, Robert, Robert, let's set the alarm for another half hour. Cause I'm a pro at that. I'm a pro at that. So oh man, a lot of people are here. <laughs> I, I used to be a snooze button ninja. You know, and, and, and <laughs> how many of your listeners realize probably the best sleep you get is the nine minutes between the snooze button re going off and the alarm going off again. And it would be like snooze. Nine minutes later, wah, 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 snooze. I had it down to such an art, I could hit snooze, and that was my best sleep of the whole night. <laughs> 
<laughs> you talking to my heart right now. <laughs> that snooze button. Uh, 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 oh, man, it's something different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So how I balance is I understand myself. And I know where my strengths are. I know where my weaknesses are. I know what's important. And I design, um, I, I teach students uh, a theory that's been taught for years by different people. I, we call it the big rock system. In my calendar, because now, especially with COVID, I live by my calendar. And I schedule all my balance pieces first. So a balance piece is taking care of yourself. So if you like to read, before I put any business on my calendar, I put in areas where it's just me to read. That's my time. The phone's put down. Um, my wife, we know that lunch and dinner, those are scheduled times where we sit down, phones get put down. For lunch, we play cards while we eat and we connect. No matter what we're both doing, at lunchtime, we stop what we're doing. We come together because that's a balance piece. So those get scheduled in first. And then now I don't feel guilty if I'm pulling a 20-hour day because I'm taking care of the balance instead of it, oh, when I have energy left over, then I'll do the stuff that gives me, you know, makes me feel good. It's no, it's scheduled in or it's in place so that, all right, right, yep, lunchtime. And I know not to schedule anything at that time. So it becomes a great habit that um, allows me then do, because there's days where I've got to work my butt off, but then there's days where I do nothing because it's been scheduled that way. So I don't, I don't know if that's the direction you were hoping to go on it, Ronnie, but that's kind of, you know, how I do things. <laughs> no, you know, that's like the basic entrepreneur life that um, you could you could plan things and nothing goes the way you plan. You know, some, something just pops <laughs> up. Um, but Rob, is it OK if I call you Rob? That's OK. Yeah, that's fine. Just not right. Bob or Bobby or Robert or oh, Robinson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Robert. Okay. I, I'll, I'll just stick to the Robert. I want to be respectful. Um, you mentioned uh, your wife throughout mm-hmm. this thing, you know, and we got a, my, my, my audience. I did, I did the demographics. A lot of them are single males. Um, I would be a disservice to them if I didn't ask this question. How did you meet your wife? We want to, not not it it don't it doesn't have to be too crazy. We just want to know how because oh. you know like how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you, Ronnie, because th- this is a perfect question, especially for young guys to listen to. Because my wife and I, we've um, known each other since we were thirteen. We actually started dating when we were sixteen, and we got married when we were nineteen. And actually, in three days from today that we're doing this recording is our thirty-second wedding anniversary. And, but it wasn't me that created it. Like most young men, I was clueless. See, I knew I was, there's girls that I was, I was thinking were, I was liking, they were fine. I didn't realize there was a girl that liked me. I had no idea. <laughs> no, I totally clueless. And we, like I said, we've known each other since we were 13 and I knew her, but I didn't notice her. And she'd been trying to get my attention for a couple of years. And one day we're playing a game of um, touch football because we were at a um, we were doing some volunteer work and Uh-oh. we had a break and we're we're playing touch football Uh-oh. and she saw me flirting <laughs> with another girl and she's like that's it 
I'm tired of chasing him. I'm going to tackle his ass to the ground. He's going to notice me. <laughs> so I'm the quarterback, and I got some ego going on. I'm 16. I, I get the ball snapped. I fade back. There's no one to pass the ball to, but I see I can run and probably get a touchdown. So I tuck the ball, and I start going for it. And I'm just about to cross the goal line and score the touchdown when I get tackled hard from behind to the ground. And the moment I'm tackled, I'm like, I'm pissed. It's like, who the tackled me? This is touch football. Until I looked behind and I saw it was a girl that tackled me. And instantly I was smitten. I was like, because oh. <laughs> here's the ego, right? I'm like, if she can tackle me, she's got to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Be my girlfriend. <laughs> What? Wow. Listen. Okay. So for all our listeners out there, <laughs> yeah, you never know, man. Yo, if your wife tackles you, that's a good sign. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Look, yeah, and, yeah. and to put it on a serious side, though, one of the things, you know, with all the success that all the ups, all the downs, all the success, all the blessings I've had in my life, one of the things I will never be afraid to say, and I tell my audiences all over the world. If it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't be where I am today mm. because I would be comfortably miserable in a job because my whole conditioning growing up was you find a job, whether you like it or not, that gives you security and a good pay and you do it to support your family, whether you like it or not. So that was my whole reality. That was my box, my comfort zone that I um, sat in. But see, my wife's not willing to let me play smaller than I am. She's not willing to let me not show my greatness, which means sometimes she's had to kick me in the ass to step up. Otherwise, I would still be, I'd be in a job. One of my jobs was I was, thought I was going to work in a factory for 40 years. I got the job at 18. I started in the factory. I'd worked my way into shipping and receiving. I was now on inside sales. I was lower management by the time I'm 21. And this company had factories all over North America. So I thought for 40 years, by the time, I, you know, in the next 10, 15, I'm going to be my own general manager. I'm going to have my own factory. I thought I had it all figured out. So imagine my surprise when my wife and I come back from a, a week-long holiday and I walk in and they go, oh, by the way, we're shutting the factory down. You were laid off last week. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you couldn't tell me that before I went on a holiday and spent money? And they're like, oh, we didn't know. And lower management, you, you were released right away, even though the inside workers, they're going to keep going for another month and a half while we wind down the factory. Mm -hmm. And I look back now and I go, thank goodness that happened because it was one of the greatest lessons I could have learned that if I wanted to have success, I had to take control of it. But I went into the poor me. I went into what the hell. I couldn't find another job. That's what led me to delivering pizza, which from pizza delivery, I went to manager. From manager, I went to franchisee. And my wife and I were down with pizza franchisees for nine years. That was our journey. But a lot of that was her saying, no, there's more we can do. Because for me, for years, it was like, no, there's no way we can be a franchisee. We don't have money. Well, then figure out how we do it. And we did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's, she's my greatest friend. She's the love of my life. She's my everything. She's the reason I am here today. Mm. Now, I'm glad you spoke briefly about the um, the franchisee thing, because I've researched your story. It's amazing. And I like I need to know for me personally, um, 
as well as the audience, obviously, uh, what makes an entrepreneur a successful one? Like, what do you believe are the intangibles that we just can't see, but they they need to be like, what do you believe are those um, points, you know, that make someone a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, one, tenacity. Mm. Tenacity. Because it's you're never going to work harder than when you work for yourself. And mm-hmm. so many people, it's easy to give up on themselves. So tenacity. Two, always be learning. Never quit learning. Uh, the moment I think I know it all, Ronnie, I'm done. I'm done. Because mm. I just know, even with all my um, travels around the world and everything I've done, I still know nothing. I know nothing. Um, so tenacity, always be learning and be willing to admit what you don't know and do what you're good at and admit what you don't know and get help to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, entrepreneurs, they have a hard time asking for help. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to be, you've got to be vulnerable. Uh, a lot of people think that vulnerability is a weakness, but from my experience, it is one of the greatest strengths a person can actually have is being the, being willing to be vulnerable and say, Hey, I don't know this or, and, and I learned these all through, not because I'm brilliant. Uh, I learned it, doing it the hard way. I let ego go. No, like I, we became Donald's pizza franchisees. And the reality was, is we shouldn't have made it past the first six months because we were trying to do everything, including our accounting. And here was our accounting philosophy. Well, there's money in the bank, so we must be doing okay. But when we finally, two years in, got a proper accountant to figure everything out, the accountant looked at us and went, how the hell did you not go bankrupt over these last two years? You did this with nothing. And we went, oh, there was money in the bank. I thought it would work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, these, these were the lessons we went through. There was countless nights. You talk about tenacity. Domino's Pizza came in and said, we're changing. <laughs> Learning, asking for help. These are things, like, do you think, these can be taught or learned or um, because I know a lot of people, they, you know, have dreams, aspirations, but I don't know. It's just that, that it factor that they lack, you know, do you think, do you think you can be taught these? Like, how did you get these things, you know, built within you? Like for real, because a lot of people in the towel. Yeah. It's, it's, um, the second thing, like the second step in my book that I talk about is find a mentor, someone to model from. So we had Tom Monahan who founded Domino's. We read everything he, about his system, why he created it, how he did it. And we just followed the system. And we just, because, you know, our goal was we wanted to be able to go to the world conventions. We wanted to have a better life. We're both the youngest of um, our families. And so we both grew up in families that had nothing very poor struggling. So we wanted, we were the only entrepreneurs in our family. So we wanted to, you know, failure wasn't an option for us. Mm -hmm. And so can it be taught? Yes. If the person's open, Mm -hmm. see, I'm a, everybody's journey is going to be their journey. So you have listeners right now. Some of them are going to resonate with this and they're going, I get it. This is exactly how I feel. This gives me the courage to take one more step further. Other listeners hearing the exact same thing are going to be going, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is bullshit. You know, I, I can be successful whenever I want to be because they're hearing it through different filters. Now, is it right or wrong or good or bad? No, it's just what it is. It, the person that's ready for it 
they'll be able to take it in. The person who's not, it's just not right for them right now. It's not that it's not right. It's not right from right now. And if we try to force it, like, Ronnie, come on, smart up, man. That's not going to help. Because <laughs> then your, your ego, your resistance is going to come up, and you're just going to put up another wall. Mm-hmm. Until you're in that phase of your journey where maybe you've been kicked down hard enough that you go, I, I'm ready for change, then you might hear it. That, so it, it, each person depends, in my opinion, on what space they're in in that moment. I can be, and here's the statistic, okay? Look, I've trained all over the world, and North America tends to be the lowest part of it. I can have a 1,000 people in the audience, and I can deliver the most amazing information on how to take their life and take it to a whole new level. But in North America, statistics show only 3% of the people will actually do anything with it. Mm. 3%. The person has to want to change, and they have to be open. Mm, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's something that you mentioned also that um, like not, not only do they have to be ready, but you mentioned about the four phases in life, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm really eager to know about the four phases. I'm sure it'll relate to me, the audience. And, and uh, yeah, just if you could touch up on that. Yeah, that'll be yeah. dope. The four phases in life people constantly go through. Yeah. And I love using acronyms. So for the four phases, I use the acronym OPEN. And so this is its not originally my material. I have an amazing friend who, um, he was a monk for eight years, over 15,000 hours of, of meditation in his time as a monk. And he also studies quantum physics. So he can tell you all about spirituality and then back it up with the quantum physics behind it. He, he's brilliant. And he called it originally his chaos module. And it wasn't his passion, but it was something he had researched and then just, it blew me away. And I'm like, dude, I need to be able to teach this. And he's like, ah, take it, go. So I did a lot of interviews with him to deep dive on where he came up with it, how he did. And then I put my own spin on it. And what was cool is that he got more excited, excited about the spin I put on it. Cause he's like, that's it. That's it. You actually get it. And, you know, and I was able to put it into, so I use the acronym open. And so the O stands for observation phase. And this is where you've heard you're a human being, not a human doing. Well, in the observation phase, you're actually a human creating, which means this is the time to really put, if you're a believer in vision boards like I am, this is where you, what is my big dream? What would I like to create? Not how, just you create, you think, you meditate, you, you put vision boards together. You don't have to worry about the how. This is the time to just be that human creating what you would love your life to look like, okay? Mm -hmm. Then the P stands for pamper phase. Now, the pamper phase is probably the one phase that most people miss, and it sabotages their success because they do. This is a time where it's time to take care of you. See, if you're just going, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to do whatever it takes, but you forget to take care of you, this is a time to go on a vacation. This is a time to get your nails done, to get your hair done, if you have any. You know, I don't. (laughs) This is the time, like for me, people would say, Robert, why do you fly halfway around the world and you're on a plane for 25 hours, up to 25 hours traveling? Why would you do that? And for me, it's like, because when I'm on the plane, that's me time. 
even if there's Wi-Fi, I don't connect. This is when I get to read, I get to watch movies, and I get to eat some great food. Because I get pampered when I'm on the plane because I fly so much. So I get great food. And that's so if my wife's with me, we connect. But if I'm by myself, that's my space. So this is how I pamper myself. Okay. So in that, this is when you're the human being. This is when you're just taking care of you. If you can't go on a holiday phase or a holiday when you notice you're in the pamper phase, then you plan a holiday during that time. Or you say, yeah, I'm going to sit down and read a book today. Or I'm going to watch my favorite movie whatever it is. And most people, they forget to do this and they wonder why they self-sabotage. They wonder why they get burnt out. They wonder why they break up in their relationships because they didn't take time for themselves because you can't give what you don't have, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. The E stands for energy. This is the get it done time. When you're in the energy phase is when you're making meetings, you're creating documents, you're, you know, this is when... Like right now, you're doing a podcast recording. Why? Because you're in an energy phase. And mm. this is when you get the work done. So this means like today, today's been an energy phase day. I mentioned to you, uh, I started my first interview at 2 a.m. for Australia. So I was up at 1 a.m. and I didn't go back to bed. I took care of a bunch of other work because my next interview was at 7.30. And so I've been doing meetings, trainings, and um, all the way through the day. Because it's an energy phase day. And because I take my time to pamper, when it's time to get the work done, I can get the work done. I can be focused. And this is where people, they go, but Robert, I'm so busy. I'm going to tend to disagree. Most people are busy at trying to look busy. Mm-hmm. That they're not really busy. You know, if I can take someone and I can teach them how to give themselves two hours of what I call focus time. That in this focus time, you're not answering emails, you're not looking at your phone, you're not doing anything but the task you put yourself on, you can get more production done in two hours than a person can in eight hours of not being focused. So it's on on how you do that, right? So when you know you're in an energy phase, you can be productive because you're taking care of the other phases as you go through them. And then the N is actually not the first letter of the word, it's actually the second because it's the only way it can make a fit. It is what I call the unclutter phase. And another way of calling this is chaos. So here's what people don't realize, Ronnie, is as human beings, we're meant to evolve. And when chaos comes in our life, it's because we've become stagnant. And the only way we're going to go to the next level is by embracing chaos. See, when chaos comes into someone's life, but Robert, my life was going so good. Here, here let's, I'll give it to you this way. When you're in the observation phase, mm-hmm. you see that girl, you're noticing it. And all of a sudden you <laughs> see her and you're like, damn, that's, I want to be with her. And because you're in the observation phase, you want to know everything about her. You want to know what she likes, what she doesn't like, where she likes to eat, who her friends are. Because so, you're observing everything about her, right? Now all of a sudden you get in the pamper phase, you're on the date, you're schmoozing her, you're letting her know that you're, you're excited. And you, you ask her to marry you. And so also now you go into the energy phase of we got to plan the wedding. Who are we going to invite? We got to get the invitations out. We got to do this. We got to get that done. And all of a sudden what happens? (laughs) A baby comes along. You are in chaos. You are in chaos going, what the hell just happened? I'm not getting sleep. Why are babies so much work? But all of a sudden you start to notice 
that, oh my God, this was the greatest gift in my life. And you go back into the observation phase because this child is just amazing. And how was my life without that child in my life? And you're back in the observation phase at a new level. Mm. And see, it goes around. So instead of resisting chaos, if you embrace chaos, and the reason I call it the unclutter phase is it comes down to this, is you have to be willing in this phase to courageously destroy something. Now, Mm. here's what I mean by that. See, this is a time that maybe a business relationship isn't working. That's heavy. (laughs) Courageously destroy something. Okay, I just, that's heavy. Keep going. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that was heavy. Well, this is the time. This is when maybe a business or personal relationship, this is the time it's meant to be ended. This is the time to, you know, you want a new car, but until you get rid of your old car, you can't get the new car. You've got to destroy the attachment to the old car. And so the way people can actually embrace the unclutter phase and use it in their favor is this, is you courageously volunteer to destroy something. So it could be something as simple as I walk into my office, I go, you know what? Time to straighten this mess up. And I organize it. So I'm uncluttering. Mm-hmm. Or you open a closet door or the refrigerator. Time to clean that refrigerator up. So you're showing the universe or God or whatever you want to go by for a higher power. You're showing them that I am willing to participate and actually destroy something that's not working in my life. So you've got to be willing to let go of good to get great. You've got to be willing to let go of great to get Mm. phenomenal. And so what it comes down to is this. Instead of being willing to live life to the fullest, you've got to be willing to courageously allow life to live you. Because if you think you're in control, my friend, you're sorely mistaken. And the universe will slap you around to teach you that, no, you think you're in control? I don't think so. (laughs) Mm. Wow. (laughs) Hold on. Let's pump our brakes a little bit because Robert, the the mic is getting hot (laughs) right now. (laughs) Um, Listen, I, I snatched that away. I caught that. The four phases in life. Open, observation, pamper, unclutter. Um, and Energy. you go through that at yep. different, yeah, yeah. And it, you, yep. you go through it at different levels. So yep. at the end, you mentioned the chaos part now. Yeah. Um, you Listen, I want to also tell y'all, you got to get Robert's book, Success Leaves Clues. No, uh, Success Left the Clue, excuse me. Yes. And, like, can you talk about the chaos? Because I think a lot of people get to the chaos part, and that's where they kind of, you know, oh, this is too much for me. Even, like you said, you know, with with children, they're like, oh, wait, whoa, this is too much. I'm going to just focus on this, and that's why I'm not going to level up. I'm going to just stop right here. Can you talk about how chaos is uh, not, you know, like, can you dial it into is chaos a little bit? Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, and that's exactly what I was talking about is, is you, you actually participate in it by instead of getting frazzled by it, you say, you know what? Okay, uh, here, here's a, uh, there's a thing that you've probably heard and your listeners have probably heard this. Everything happens for a reason. Have you heard mm-hmm. that thing before? Absolutely. And you believe that to be true? 
Yeah, I think so. I like this. Is that a statement or a question? <laughs> See, here's what people don't realize is that's actually only half the statement. Everybody hears that everything happens for a reason. But what they don't hear is the second half, which is, and that reason is there to serve me. See, now, why this is important to understand is if you look at it that way, you now go into curiosity mode to look for the lesson. And you won't always get the lesson right away. Sometimes it takes you years to all of a sudden look back, you know, that hindsight being 2020, you look back and you go, now I know why that happened in my life. Mm-hmm. Now I know why that person mm-hmm. en- entered my life at that time and I thought it was a train wreck. But because of that, I'm now who I am today to be able to handle this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. I was doing a training where it was a five-day, very powerful five-day training. And we were out in a camping um, setting. And I was a volunteer. I wasn't even a trainer at the time. I was a volunteer. My wife and I were volunteering. And in between the camps, the staff, we would, um, we would just relax. We had two and a half days in to, between camps to just relax, go have fun, get to know each other before the next set of people would come in. And one of the volunteers that we'd known for a while, we didn't know he was bipolar. And all of a sudden, something was going, something seemed off file. He was taking one of the new um, volunteers and always trying to drag him off to the side and talk to him aside. And we saw that something was really going off. And my wife and I actually had to leave and go to my parents uh, on Vancouver Island in Canada. And all of a sudden, something was really bothering me about this guy. And all of a sudden, he's calling me, and I'm at my parents. I'm like, what's going on, John? And all of a sudden, he went off the deep end, and he started, um, he went into such a, a, a zone that he was actually calling me to let me know that he was going to be, um, my wife and my mentor both had to be killed. And I'm like, pardon me? He goes, he called them what he called impeccable that they're too good for the planet, that they, people will take advantage of them, they have to be killed. And I, I need to let you know that's my duty. And so now I'm freaked out. I'm supposed to be spending time with my parents and my wife, and I'm in a room for two and a half hours because he, he was so in this, this uh, whatever you call it, with bipolar, he was in so this depressive um, zone that he would sit there and he would say something, and if I wasn't listening close enough, to try, because I'm trying to find out where is he at, where can we get the police tool, you know, this is not good. And if I said one little thing wrong, he'd all of a sudden stop dead sentence and go, no, Robert, you're not listening to me. Let's begin again. And so you talk about mental draining, having to listen to everything. And I finally talked him into letting his wife get on the phone. And I got her on the phone and I said, you need to, you know, where are you guys at? Because this is not good. He's threatening my wife. He's threatening my mentor, you know, and, and he, you know, and we're going through this. And she's like, I can't get him to take his medication. There's nothing I can do. And I said, well, if you don't, we have to. And after a two and a half hour call, when I stayed on until the police showed up, I then just collapsed. I was utterly exhausted, exhausted. Now, I went through a lot of clearing to get rid of it, to let that energy go. They had, um, they ended up, you know, he got back on his medications, but they ended up hiring uh, private detectives to follow him so that if he came anywhere near a training that we were doing, 
we are aware of it. And mm-hmm. so now I'm, now I'm training. Now I'm, you know, and I thought I'd let it all go. So imagine my surprise when two years later, I'm walking into one of our camps, into the registration area, and all of a sudden there he is standing right in front of me. Chaos. And I stopped. Yeah, chaos hit me right in the face. And I stopped. And I'm looking at him because he's not allowed at any events and that, but I'm like, I'm looking at him. And he goes, Robert, Robert, stop, stop, stop. It's okay. And I'm like, what are you doing here? He says, I'm just, I'm not here. I'm just dropping my daughter off. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. He says, and I just, I needed to see you because I had to thank you. And I'm like, what do you mean thank me? He said, if you hadn't had the courage to go through that process with me, he said, two years ago, after I got better, when all of a sudden my son was diagnosed with manic depression and bipolar, I was able to better help my son because you had stepped up to help me. And I'm dropping my daughter off because this program changed my life and I know it'll change her life. And I just needed, I, I didn't know if I'd see you or not, but I, I, because of you, I'm in a much better place. Now, Ronnie, I thought I'd let it go. That night I finished the training and I woke up the next morning and I couldn't move my head from this position. My whole body was locked up because I'd locked that energy up. And I did enough to get on stage for three hours where I'm in sheer pain. And then while all my students were gone for the rest of the day, you know, I had to get someone with cranial synchro to work on release my body because I, I didn't realize I had held on to all of that energy and just seeing them triggered at all. Mm-hmm. But then I got the lesson and it was like, see, we don't know when we're going to get the lesson, but if you're in the curious mode, that chaos can actually guide your life in a, such an amazing direction as long as you don't, because the more you resist, it's the more it's going to hit you in the face. I think it would be awesome if you would just let, let, let our audience know like the full story. Cause I know you started off at the top. Well, not start. Nobody starts off at the top, so to speak. But you started <laughs> off, you were doing really well, hit a low point, hit a high point, hit a low point. It was like a roller coaster. You know what I mean? And, and that's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that that like kind of embodies the chaos. If you yep. could um go into details about that, like t- tell them how you started like fresh out of high school, got your honey on, got your bride with you. You know what I mean? Like how did that well, yeah. entire um, situation look? Like t- if you could just give us a quick rundown from the beginning. Yeah. You, awesome. I was taught, I was taught and I'm going to stand up because my legs cramping up. So I'm just going to stand. When, so when I started working at a young age and I was taught you work hard, you stay loyal. And so when I got laid off from that third company, I was like, what the hell's going on in my life? And at the time where I live here in Alberta, we have oil. And if okay. oil prices... Your, you said your third company? Yes. The third, the third company I'd worked for because I'd been okay. laid off, downside, stuff like that, right? See? Yeah, so, yeah. So I'm in this company, the third one was a factory I thought I was going to be a general manager with. And because we were in the middle of a, an oil bust, a depression, there was no jobs. No real jobs. And, but I'm taught you take care of your family. I'm newly married, so I want to take care of my bride. So I start delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. Mm. And I delivered pizzas before, so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll start delivering pizzas because i got to make money. And may I started I, doing I, that. May I interject real quick? I yeah. just want to let people know that to go from what, what you, you said three companies. Now, these are not yeah. no weak-ass no weak companies. These are 
like prestigious positions? Well, yes and no. My first job, I had started working in a car wash, but I'd worked mm-hmm. my way up to being manager and then managing three, four car washes by the time I was 18. Right. And all of a sudden, the owner decided to shut them all down and turn them into mini malls. So I had mm-hmm. no work. I, and mm-hmm. I'd worked for them for, since the age of 15 because I've always, you know, new, newspapers, stuff like that. So my next job, I'm a necessity. I was doing, um, I was doing fiberglass work. And I don't know if you've ever done fiberglass running, but when that those raw fibers get into your skin, you wake up at three o'clock in the morning doing this all the time. It's, it's nasty. <laughs> and they ended up shutting down, which had led me to working in the factory that I got hired on right as they were starting. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. two and a half years later, they shut down. I was mm-hmm. trying to get a bit of a complex. Like every place I work for, they're going to shut down. What is it, me? You know? <laughs> so I, I started delivering pizzas. And I actually start making more money because at 21, I was the old guy. See, all the young guys were 16, 17-year-olds. They just they wanted to party. So I could always pick up the extra shifts, and I was making good money, especially in tips. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I find out my, my franchisee is selling his store because he's bought two stores in another city. And my mind goes, oh, crap. I need something more permanent. So I said, out of blue, I said, look, um, do you need a manager? You now have twice as many stores. You know, so we talked for a couple hours and he said, okay, you can be a manager. Um, you'll leave in two weeks. You have to move to the other city and start taking over the store. Now, I'd been a driver up to that point. So I said, um, can I get some in-store experience? So I learned how to be a manager. And he goes, ah, you'll get lots of experience when you get there. <laughs> <laughs> on the job Talk training. <laughs> yeah, trial by fire on the job training. And look, in the beginning, I sucked at it. I, I go to a store that I'm now the, responsible for not only the scheduling for ordering the food for everything. And I was terrible. My wife stayed behind and she's um, on the weekend. She's packing up our place, coming up on the weekend to help find a new place to move into, uh, to rent and stuff like that. And she's in the store on a Friday night. And my, when I, when I came to the store, my assistant manager, a 17 year old kid, he comes up to me and he says, I just need to be up front with you. And I'll let you know. He says, I've been working here since I was 14. So I've worked here for three years. And in that three years, I've watched 42 managers and assistant managers come through the store. Mm. You're not going to be here very long. So I'm not going to listen to you because I know you'll be gone. Talk about putting the pressure, the chaos coming in. Well, this one Friday night, my wife comes up. She gets into the city and she's at the store helping out wherever she can just because we're a little bit busy. And I had messed up our food shipment. I had messed up and we're running out of food in the middle of our dinner rush. So I'm going in all these other stores trying to see if I can buy food off of them. I finally arrange enough that I have to go pick up. Well, the moment I left the store, my assistant manager starts bad-mouthing me. He can't even order food. What kind of manager is he going to be, right? My wife is standing right there. And he's bad-mouthing me. So I get back, and the rush is over, and my wife goes, we need to have a talk. I said, yeah, what's going on? She goes, do you realize what Mark was doing while you're gone? I'm like, uh, making pizza? No. And she walked through <laughs> everything that was going on. And she said, you have a choice to make. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, if you keep him, he's just going to infect the entire staff and you're never going to succeed. So you have to let him go. And out of a joke, I said, and who's going to be my assistant manager? You? And she said, if that's what's needed, that's what I will do. So I called Mark back and I said, Mark, here's the deal. I said, this isn't going to work. You've been given your two weeks notice. And he basically laughed at me like, are you kidding me? You can't do that. I said, yeah, I can. You're done. 
and I'll give you your two weeks notice. And my wife ended up becoming my assistant manager. And we started working seven days a week, open to close. And in Domino's Pizza, you can't just buy a franchise. You actually have to successfully manage one and run it for at least a year. And then you qualify to be a franchisee. And so what they do as a way of recognizing you, they don't charge you a huge upfront franchise fee, but you now can buy or build a store. And so all of a sudden, it's a year and a half in, and my franchisee has decided he's had enough with Domino's Pizza because he'd gone from having a great store and he did a bad deal getting two stores that um, did half the sale, thinking it'll be easier to raise them up than try to raise this one up. But he went to two stores, same amount of sales combined, but two overheads. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a competitive market. So he decided mm -hmm. I'm done. And we knew that if new owners came in, we probably would be gone as well because they always, first thing they do is they fire the existing management. Now I'm, I'm actually qualified to be a franchisee. And I, so we decide we want to buy the store we're in, but there's one little problem, Ronnie. We don't have any money. One thing that I possess that served me really well is I have passion. And if there's something I want to accomplish, something I want to do, we're going to find a way to do it. But it was my wife kicking me in the ass long because I would give up too easily. And we spent about four months trying everything. How do you buy a business if you have no money? We'd even go to the people that go, tell you what, I guarantee you, you're great kids. I'll get you the financing. Really? Yep. Yep. We'll get you the financing. It'll be at this interest rate. Um, my fee is a thousand dollars paid up front. As soon as we pay that thousand dollars, all of a sudden, oh, I'm sorry. We can't get you financing. Um, it's just, you don't have enough credit. You don't have enough experience. Okay, can we have our $1,000 back? No, no, that was the upfront fee. There's no refund on that. But because we looked for the lesson and everything, by the time we went to our own bank, we ended up getting 100% financing for both stores. And we became franchisees, even though we didn't have money, we were able to make it work. And we were franchisees for nine years, and we started making pretty good money. And I want you, especially your, um, your younger listeners, to listen to this part. The ego is an amazing thing. See, successful people think long-term. Poor people, they'll think short-term, immediate gratification. What can I have now? I want the nice car now. I want the nice, you know, the nice digs, the nice house, the nice apartment. I want that now. And we did too. So it didn't seem to matter how much we made, we spent more. So all of a sudden, by the time we're franchisees for eight years, everybody else is going, look at how successful you guys are. But in reality, we're over $150,000 in debt and going down very, very quickly. Mm. And that's when we were introduced to personal development. And just from understanding why we handled money the way we did, we went from being over $150,000 in debt and walking out of a three-day training that totally changed our life around. All of a sudden, we went from $150,000 in debt to actually being completely retired, financially free, nine months later at the age of 32. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm, watch I'm watching the reaction on your face, right? And now, but here's the distinction. At 32, what, too. Yeah, and, and people go, how did, you, how did you become wealthy in nine months? And most people think that when I say I went from 150000 in debt to financially free in nine months, they think that means I was instantly a millionaire. But I didn't say I was a millionaire. I said I was financially free. And if you understand what financial freedom is, you have your expenses. And if you don't have anything but working income, you'll always work for the rest of your life to pay for those expenses. Because you'll always have expenses. But there's something called passive income, which is money working for you, business working for you, 
where you, so like you systemize a business where you're not having to be in there running it, but you get paid from it, that's a passive income. Um, you have investments that are paying you dividends, paying you interest. Those are passive income. So we were deep in debt because we had a lot of expenses. We were just like a lot of people out there. We had all the toys. We wanted that instant gratification. And because we didn't know what passive income was, we had none. So this gap was huge. And there's no way we'd ever become financially free. But after we understood why we spent money the way we did, we had to make some tough decisions. We mm. had to ask ourselves, are we willing to go through some short-term pain to truly have the long-term gain of having financial security? And my wife and I sat down, we had a conversation, we said, yeah. And so the first thing we did is we started making the tough decisions. What do we have right now that we're paying for in monthly expenses that we don't need, that we could do without for right now? And one of them was our one store was in a resort area and we lived on the lake. So because we're on a lake, we have to have a boat. We have to have a boat. Now, the stupid thing was, is we didn't get to use our boat because boating season was our busy season in the store. So our boat stayed parked in our driveway while we were working the stores, but we had all the expenses for the boat. So we sold the boat, got rid of the expenses. We had two vehicles. We worked all the time together. We only need one. So we sold a vehicle. So we took a hard look and started knocking down those expenses. Mm -hmm. So what happened is it only took two passive incomes to then start once we understood passive income. And also as we brought our expenses down, our passive income went up. The moment those two pass each other, we're not rich, but we're financially free. And what does that give us? It gives us the ability that if we don't want to work, we don't have to. Because our expenses are being covered. We have enough income coming in. And we went from working 80, 90 or more hours a week just to earn a living. We now had that all free time. Mm -hmm. And there's a universal principle that says this, Ronnie. It says, what you focus on expands. So the moment we didn't have to work anymore, we started working on us and we dedicated 10 hours a week. So we went from 60, 70, 80, 90 or more hours a week in the store to having all that time now. So to take 10 hours a week was an easy, it was easy to take that 10 hours because we didn't have to work for a living. And we started focusing on creating wealth. And all of a sudden, wealth creation came so much easier because we were putting our focus on it. and. That's when I found my passion was to train because I felt that if I could even help one person do what my wife and I had done, go from being in debt to being financially secure and make it all worthwhile. And I had never trained a day in my life. My mentor was saying he was looking for trainers, but you had to have a lot of experience, but I didn't have experience. But again, I have passion. I have tenacity. And I ended up becoming his very first protege First one that ever teaches programs other than him. And next thing you know, I'm traveling all over North America, doing training, um, training other trainers at the same time. Then we launched into Asia, into Singapore in 2007. And, you know, now we're around the world and it's allowed me to have the lifestyle I love to have while I'm helping a lot of people because that's my passion is to help people. So that's kind mm -hmm. of the condensed 18 plus years of my journey. <laughs> <laughs> he condensed 18 years into a matter of five minutes. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And I like my, I was going to ask, like, how did you do it so fast in nine months? Because I think nine months is just a remarkable amount of time to 
to be financially free. But like, yeah, you kind of answered that. My takeaway was sacrifice. I see you mentioned, you know, until. uh, See, notice uh the words you just used because words are so powerful. And one of the things that holds people back is they go, oh, so what you're saying is to be successful. I've got to sacrifice. And often they don't like the word sacrifice. No one does. So that's what comes up for them. So to me, it was, what am I willing to do now to give me the results I want to have? And Mm -hmm. I looked at it and it was, yeah, because here's the reality. Today, I could have any boat I want. I can afford to buy any boat I want. Why? Because I was willing to let go of the instant gratification for the long-term benefit. And so it's, what decisions am I willing to make to have the life I want to have? And don't look at it as a sacrifice. It's just your willingness. Because we always have choice. You always have choice. If, you know, I, I, a few years ago, my wife and I did a tour, and we started taking pictures of all the places we've lived in from since we were together. A fourplex, a basement suite, a rundown little trailer in a trailer park, well, we were a successful franchisee. We were living in a mobile home that was run down. And today I have a beautiful, beautiful acreage. And people go, well, that's what I want. Well, guess what? Then be willing to go through what we went through to get what we have today. Mm. See, most people just want the end of the journey without knowing the journey itself or going on the journey. And it's not right. sacrifices. Because that's where your greatest gifts and lessons are going to come from. Like even you, from where you're at right now, from hood to good, why are you doing this podcast? It's because of your journey. And now you want to help other people, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But had you not gone through the journey yourself, you'd be sitting there trying to help people and they'd be going, well, yeah, Ronnie, something doesn't seem right. You know, you <laughs> see, I think you've had a good all your life. How are you te- trying to teach me to have this amazing life? If you have an experience, you don't know where I'm at. Mm-hmm. But because, you know, to dive into your story, I bet you that the pain are what becomes your greatest things that you can now help other people with. Mm. The chaos you've endured is allows you to now help someone else maybe get through it without as much pain, as much chaos. And then, and that's to me, the greatest gift anybody can give the world is to show up for who you are authentically and just be you. Whether people like you or not, just be you. Right. Yeah, um, I was I was talking to somebody about that earlier. As far as um, you say, you want to have this, you want to do this, you want to be able to speak into other people's lives and everything. But the only way for you to authentically do that is you have to actually go through it. You know, if you want to be like, for example, a marriage counselor, you may have to go through a divorce. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. As as hard as it may sound. You that that make that is a, a a reality right there. And yeah, did, did you know one of the top relationship experts in the world? She's been divorced six times. Wow! Because she can teach you what's not working. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she can teach you what's working. <laughs> right. Well, but some of the greatest lessons come from what didn't work. Right. 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 And so, and you hit it right on the head with that. And, and mm. I, I love documentaries. I'm, I watch and read documentaries all the time because it's the greatest way for me to, because I don't want to just see the success. I want to see what their journey was. And have you watched the one called The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls? 
Oh, of course, yes. Right? And and you and what really struck me on that one was when they're talking about the whole era of like Mike. They're all the ads, all the promotions were be like Mike. And here he is in one of the last episodes. He's sitting in front of a reporter and he and he looked at her and, and he said to her, he said, You don't want to be like Mike. People think they want to be me, but they'll only be me for maybe a day. They can't handle being me for a week or longer because of the drive I have and the work I put in. See, people want to be that multi-million dollar endorsements and shots, and but they're they don't want to put the work in to get to that stage. People mm-hmm. say they want to be a trainer and do what I do. Okay, then are you willing to be laid up in a, a hotel for two and a half days because you can't move because you didn't take care of your back? And if you don't give yourself permission to lay out flat and not move, you know you can't get back up on stage in a, mm-hmm. um, the two and a half days and do what you need to do. They think it's all glamorous. Robert, you travel all over the world. Yeah, but in between events, if I'm not at home because I'm overseas, I'm sitting in a hotel room doing this. You know? Yeah. You've got to take the good with the bad with the ugly. And that's why when you tap into your passion, that's where it all starts with. What is it you truly want in your life? Because if you're going for something just for the money, the moment it gets tough, you're going to quit. You're going to sabotage. You're going to become the victim and, oh, poor me, woe is me. But if you're doing what you love to do, if there's a little bit of a hiccup, it's a speed bump. You go over it. You get through it. You make an adjustment. You go again. Make an adjustment. You go again. And so when you talk about habits of wealthy people, it's when they make a decision, they go for it. They don't, you know, I, I teach what's called the authority master key. And I use the word vital as the acronym. And the L stands for loyal. And the most important thing you have to be loyal to is your own dreams. Do you know how many people give up on their dream when things get a little tough or didn't quite go the way they wanted it to? Mm-hmm. So hold on, can we can we um because it's so much info that you have. It's like a wealth of knowledge that you have. And I don't even think we have enough time on this podcast to like really dive into everything the way I would like to. Um, and really quick, I got to let y'all know we got a free giveaway. Success left the clue. I'm going to leave the link in the show notes so you guys could check it out. Definitely go check it out. It's clues. They like it's all around you. Um, man, I want to talk <laughs> about the vital but it's something that you spoke about with the six jars. Now, people are very finicky with money. Um, if you can talk about the six jars with the vital, um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we probably pushing an hour right now. It felt like we've been talking for 15 minutes, but I, I want to be respectful. Six yeah. jars. Look, Ronnie, we can always... Um, do another session where I come back and dive in deeper on other stuff. Absolutely. You know, mm. I'm, I'm all about that. So, but the six jars is a, is a money management system. That's so simple that five-year-olds can do it. And five-year-olds actually usually do it better than the adults because they actually follow the system where adults we've been conditioned to. Um, I've got a better way. I'll come up with my way. I can do it better. And then we get frustrated when we screw it all up. And so Money, people have to understand right off the bat is money is just a tool. Money is important where money is important. 
money's not important where money's not important. It, it's, you know, some people go, but money's not important as love. Like, like what is the comparison there? <laughs> That's like saying what's more important, your arm or your leg. They're both important for the job they do, right? Right, and a, right. And a, a running joke we have is we tell people, okay, if you're not sure if money's more important than love, then when the bank opens tomorrow, we want you to go down to the bank and deposit some love. <laughs> <laughs> Most wealthy people, they know that you manage money and you use it in separate ways. So we put them into jars, a jar's bank account. But do I have physical charts? Yes. Why? Because visible is memorable. If I mm-hmm. see it in front of me, it's a physical reminder all the time to, to do that managing. And this is what changed my wife and I's life the quickest because we were living in our RV at the time and we had very little space and we actually had six jars at the end of our bed in our recreational vehicle. So every morning in the morning, first thing we see, when we wake up, we see the jars. It was an anchor reminder to do them. Last thing we'd see at night before we went to bed, we saw the jars. And so we'd have cash in hand and we'd actually physically, physically divide some money out. So the first jar is the most important. It's called the FFA jar, which stands for financial freedom account. You pay yourself first. And I'm going to give you some percentages. You just, here's what I want people to understand. And I hope they ingrain this. The habit that I'm about to talk about is way more important than the amount. The amount does not matter. I don't care if you start with a dollar. Just divide something up. Get physically into the habit of doing that. So take 10% of your money, put it into your um, FFA. That's your retirement. That's for your, um, when you go to retire, that's, you know, you now live off this money. But you never live off the capital amount. You live off only the interest that it's producing. That's a whole other topic. The second jar is what's called long-term savings for spending. So this is something that you have to, maybe it's going to take you longer to get. You want a um, down payment for a car. You want a nice TV. So you have to save up money for it. So you put it in the, in the account with the, um, with the concept that eventually you're going to spend it, but you're saving up for it. If you have children, this would be your children's education fund. So you save up for it from the moment they're born so that when they do go to, if they go to secondary school, which is a whole other topic, I won't even talk about that. <laughs> they're not having to take a big loan out to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've had an education jar. The third one is called education jar itself. And this is for your education. Um, the LTSS, the long-term savings, 10% roughly in there. The education jar for your education. There's a, a um, universal principle that says your wealth can only grow to the extent that you do. Meaning, mm-hmm. if you're not educating yourself and learning, you're going to cap out. So I only knew how to make so much money until I grew myself more could I make more money. So mm-hmm. this is why I, even today, I am still, a, I am a student. I am a student. I learn from as many people as I can. Because again, the moment I think I know it all, I'm done. I'm done. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is about your own education. Uh, Fourth jar is called your necessities. That's rent, mortgage, food, paint, stuff like that. Right. Things that are necessities. The fifth one is called the play jar. Now this is a critical one. This is where you take your necessities. You put about 55% in your play jar, 10%. This is to do things you normally wouldn't do. This is how you pamper you. This is, you know, when we talk about the pamper faith, this is where, you know, I won't say just ladies because I like to get my nails done. <laughs> I like to get a manicure and pedicure, right? So this is where you pamper the heck out of yourself. But you do it in ways that you normally wouldn't. So as an example, if you like to go out for a meal 
once a, a week with your family, that would be a necessity. The, the play chart, you would go to a restaurant you'd never think of going to because maybe it's too expensive. Because when you go in with your play money, it's about take, taking care of yourself. So it, you do ridiculous things to have fun with that money because that nurtures the inner child. And if their inner child's nurtured, when times get tough financially or stressful, all of a sudden you'll get through it. But most people, they don't allow themselves to play. So all of a sudden one bad thing can wipe them out financially because they've never nurtured the inner child. And then the final jar, it's last, but it's definitely not the least, is called your give jar. This is for charity. This is where um, I love to be walking when I'd be going to uh, an airport and I'd see someone working their butt off, say a janitor or someone like that. I'd walk up to them and I'd just, thank you very much for doing what you do. And I'd hand them a hundred dollars and I'd walk away. I don't need them to say thank you. I don't, and most of them are like, what just happened? But it's for me to help people because, you know, I get to, you know, from my abundance and, and you do the giving, even if you're not doing well, but here's what happens. Most people think, and they've been taught, give 10%, tithe it with, you know, before anything else. And they wonder why they're struggling. If you can't even afford to take care of your family, then you give something that is as valuable, if not more valuable than money, which is your time. When my wife and I were financially so deep in debt, we didn't have money to give. So we volunteered even more. We volunteered a lot. And now today it's easy for me to write a check and say, here you go, charity. But now we give money and we still give time. So instead of just donating the meals on wheels, why not go down and help make the meals? Why not go and help deliver the meals? Those are the things that I like to do. So those are the six jars. And your listeners will probably want to rewind and listen to it a few times because I went over really, really I quick. know. I know. That was <laughs> like, I'm listening. Like, I know about the six jars. Well, I'm, I'm familiar with it because it's still fresh to me. I'm still like grasping it. But the, the, the play jar and the give jar is like, um, especially with Tom, because yeah. I, I believe Tom is way more valuable than money. Absolutely. If, if if I'm giving you time, then a dollar is it doesn't even compare. Exactly. And the play jar, right. don't sleep on the play jar because <laughs> you know we have that <laughs> inner kid inside of us that's just like I don't want McDonald's. I want um well, I'm not a foodie like that, so I don't know what's McDonald's is balling. Well, 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 <laughs> here's the joke I make. Have you ever heard of Don Perignon? The champagne? Oh, yeah. Dom Pay. Dom Pay. Yeah. Can you imagine going into a McDonald's, ordering a Big Mac, sitting down and pulling out a bottle of Dom Perignon? People are going <laughs> to look at you like you're absolutely nuts. And guess what? That's perfect because that's you playing that inner child, allowing you to really, um, you know, have fun with it. So that that's the whole cool thing. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm loving it. If if do you got a quick a, a little quick second to brush up on the um the vital before we, we close it out? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Vital is another acronym. If I call it the authority master key because what is a master key? It is a key that'll open any door. And so if you look at the word vital, the V stands for virtuoso, which is just a fancy word that started with V that worked for what I needed it to work. But when I looked at the definition, it fit right in. A virtuoso is someone who becomes a special um, specialist at some kind of skill. But to become successful, I've always started 
if there's something I wanted to do, I just jumped in. I didn't care if I was scrubbing toilets. I didn't care if I was shining shoes. I didn't care if I was pressing shirts. When I wanted to be a trainer, I was actually the personal assistant to my mentor where I wasn't getting paid, but I would, I would shine shoes. I'd deliver his meals. I would press shirts if need be. I was taking care of waiting on him hand and foot because while I was doing that, I was learning. And it really clicked in the one time when I just finished five weeks in a row, weekends, three-day training, being his personal assistant for five weekends in a row, all at my own expense. And someone came up to me and said, do you realize you spent more one-on-one time with him in the last five weekends than anybody in his office has in his company in over a year? Because, and so I was soaking up all the information and I was watching every mannerism, every way he did things on the stage. Because I had to watch him like a hawk. In the room, I couldn't do anything but sit on a chair and watch him. So I learned the grace. So become a virtuoso. Don't think you have to start at the top. Mm. Don't be, think you have to be like Mike. I want the millions right away. No, get in, learn the freaking game from the ground up, put the work in, put the practice in, and learn and just be a service to learn from who you can. Mm. The I stands for imprint. In other words, make an impression. One of the reasons I got put on stage for the very first time, even though I'd never trained before, I, and I didn't find out until years later, I'm now sitting down with my mentor and, you know, we've become friends. We've changed, um, trained hundreds of thousands of people's lives and we're having dinner one night and he goes, do you know why I put you on stage for the first time? And I said, no, I have no idea. He said, because I could not ignore you anymore. He said, you've been showing up at every event as a volunteer, being of service. He said, I remember standing on stage at a break. I'm talking to a student, but I can't pay attention to them because you're running one of the meetings off to the side and you were so present and so in your energy, I just kept looking at you. And in that moment, I decided I had to get you to help me out and put you on stage. So I was looking for someone to help me out. So imprint, make an imprint on someone. The T stands for tractable. Now, tractable is another fancy word that just means you've got to be moldable. You've got to be, when, when you're working with a mentor, if they tell you do this, don't sit there and go, well, why? I want to do it my way. No, when, when I'm mentoring someone to be a trainer, here's what I tell them. Do why you want to do stuff or how I'm going to tell you, if you want to do what I do, do this, do this, do this. And when I give them a task, even if they pay me a ton of money, which I'm not cheap, but they know if they're doing a year of mentoring with me and I give them a task, they don't come back to me until they've done it, whether it takes them two days or three months. And they don't get a refund because if they're not, if I'm not able to mold them because we get stuck in our own ways and what we think is the way it works. So you've got to be tractable. You've got to be moldable, malleable, so that someone can sit there and say, hey, you know, Ronnie, I see this in you, but if you just do this this way, it's going to take your presence up another level. So I, one of my specialties, I coach trainers on the stage to be more present and more authentic from the stage. And it might be something I'm saying, stop. Just turn your head this way when you're making that statement. Raise your chin. Put in a pause because of the power of the pause. Where's your voice tone? And in a session with someone, I can enhance them. But if they're not open to change, they'll walk out the door and do it their own way again. So you got to be tractable. The A, attitude. It's all about the attitude of gratitude. Don't be the whiny little sniveler that this is too hard. Uh, you know, this is not fair. I wake up every day and one of my daily habits is I have my gratitude and my success journal. And I write down, what am I grateful for? There's, I list at least five things that I, were a success from the day before and or 
things I'm grateful for, people I'm grateful for. You have to have an amazing attitude because there's times when life is tough. And if you don't have an amazing attitude, you're going to get sucked into it. And then the L, as you know, is loyal. And the number one thing to be loyal is loyal to your dreams. But also, why is it that I'm successful? Because when I make a commitment, I end up being overloyal. I don't give up at the first sign a little of a hiccup or that something's going wrong or it's not the way it was supposed to go. I keep going until I get to a point where I've, I can say to myself, I did everything I could to live up to all my agreements. I stayed loyal. And I end up lasting longer than a lot of people who are on to the next bright, shiny <laughs> object. I just want to let the, the, the audience know we just scratching the surface. Robert has <laughs> so much going on. Financially free at 32. Mentor site. The free book. You could start with the free book. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to leave that yeah. Ronnie, it's a workbook. Don't just don't I, I want everybody to go and get the ebook as my gift to them for being on your show. But right. don't just think you're gonna read it and put it aside. See, I made it into a workbook. Every time I teach one of my six steps, then I say, now I want before you read the next chapter, do this action. And then on the next chapter, it's like, did you do what I asked you to do? If not, stop reading now, go back and finish it. Because step number three is taking action, and that's what most mm -hmm. people don't do. They don't take action. So it's a gift that comes with the challenge. Do the work. Mm. Do the work. Be willing to do the work. <laughs> you got be it. Be willing. You got okay. it. So, Robert, I want to be respectful of your time. I got about a whole bunch of questions I didn't even reach. We may have to get you back on another time. I'm looking forward to I would. I would love to get you back on another time. Um, but if we could close out please let our listeners know how to get in touch with you, where they could find you, what you got going on right now, social media, any websites, all of that good stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, on Facebook, they can find my fan page by putting in Robert Realpel. Um, and then there I have my fan page. That's the easiest way to follow me because I can't accept any more friends. Facebook maxed me out at 5,000. Um, I am on LinkedIn. I am on Instagram. Um, don't ask me the, the tag for those. But the easiest way is, and if you want to put it in your show notes, it's the S-L-A-C dot rocks, so R-O-C-K-S, forward slash book. Mm -hmm. That's how you get access to my um, the ebook. And by getting access to that, you can definitely stay connected with me. And so if you want to put that in the show notes. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm easy to find. I'm easy to find. And I'm, and what's interesting, I'm, I'm just now really getting my social media up and running where with my Instagram, my LinkedIn and my Facebook, um, because for 18 years, I've dictated what trains I want to do because I was hiring out. But now that I'm, you know, with COVID, I've had to reinvent. So now I'm doing the social media I'm doing more stuff to get my word out there even more because I stayed as busy as I wanted to be or not. <laughs> Remember, I, yeah. I like my time off. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we all do and i'm glad you said that because before we go out you see i well if you listening you won't see that i have on like my 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 do-rag right now you know so we real laid back i like to keep that organic feel i like to keep that home environment going where we don't feel too mushy we not even robert don't even have his shirt buttoned up to the top 
Um, <laughs> so, Rob, if you could tell this us. this is me. <laughs> exactly, you know. What do you do for fun? Give us some ideas. Give us some, like, how to, like, what's your idea <laughs> of a fun day? For me, my wife and I love the outdoors. So we mm. take our RV, including, get this, I have a pet pig, 265-pound pet pig. She's a princess. She thinks she's a dog. She's an indoor girl. We take her <laughs> camping with us. We load up our six cats with us, and we go out onto Crown Land, and we go riding on our quads in the backwoods with family and just having a blast. That's, to me, sitting around a campfire, roasting marshmallows, you know, uh, smokies on the fire, just enjoying life, out, kicking back with a beer. That's, that, to me, is fun. Mm, sounds like me, a man of the outdoors. I yep. love it. Yep. I love it. I love it. But I just want to thank you, extend our gratitude. Thank you for your time on this Memorial Day. It's a holiday and <laughs> we here, quote unquote, working. <laughs> you yeah, know, right. but if, <laughs> right? if you like what you do, it doesn't feel like work. So I, I, exactly. I really want to, want to thank you for this time, man. You know, it, it really means a lot to not, on, not only myself, but I'm sure uh, my audience and our audience uh, appreciates this. Oh, my my absolute pleasure, Ron. My absolute yeah. Pleasure. So you can find them, Robert Riopel. Um, got the website. Check out the show notes, everything. And man, it's your boy Ronnie Jacks. That's all I got for today. <laughs> Y'all have a blessed <laughs> one. We out. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another from Hood the Good banger featuring Robert Raymond Rio Pell. My favorite part was the six jars of money management, especially when you talk about the having fun part. Gotta keep that balance. So hit me up, let me know what you liked about the interview, and do make sure you download that free ebook, Success Left a Clue. We out of here, y'all. From Hood the Good, baby. <laughs>